Chapter 19 of The Dog Crusoe and His Master. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Dog Crusoe and His Master by R. M. Ballantine. Chapter 19 Adventures with the Pegans. Crusoe does good service as a discoverer. The savages outwitted. The rescue. A run of about twenty miles brought the travelers to rugged defile in the mountains, from which they had a view of a beautiful valley of considerable extent. During the last two days a steady thaw had been rapidly melting away the snow, so that it appeared only here and there in the landscape in dazzling patches. At the distance of about half a mile from where they halted to breathe the horses before commencing the descent into the vale, several thin wreaths of smoke were seen rising above the trees. "'Is that your camp?' inquired Cameron, riding up to the Indian runners, who stood in a group in front, looking as fresh after their twenty miles' run as though they had only had a short walk. To this they answered in the affirmative, adding that there were about two hundred Pegans there. It might have been thought that thirty men would have hesitated to venture to attack so large a number as two hundred, but it had always been found in the experience of Indian life that a few resolute white men, well-armed, were more than a match for ten times their number of Indians, and this arose not so much from their superior strength or agility of the whites over their red foes as from the bulldog courage and utter recklessness of their lives in combat, qualities which the crafty savage can neither imitate nor understand. The information was received with perfect indifference by most of the trappers, and with contemptuous laughter by some, for a large number of Cameron's men were wild, evil-disposed fellows, who would have just as gladly taken the life of an Indian as that of a buffalo. Just as word was given to resume the march, Dick Varley rode up to Cameron and said in a somewhat anxious tone, "'Do you observe, sir, that one of the redskins has gone off ahead of his comrades?' I see that, Master Dick, and it was a mistake of mine not to have stopped him, but he was gone too far before I observed it, and I thought it better to appear unconcerned. We must push on, though, and give him as short a time as possible to talk with his comrades in the camp. The trappers pressed forward accordingly at a gallop, and were soon in front of the clump of trees amongst which the Pegans were encamped. Their approach had evidently spread great alarm among them, for there was a good deal of bustle and running to and fro, but by the time the trappers had dismounted and had advanced in a body on foot, the savages had resumed their usual quiet dignity of appearance and were seated calmly around their fires with their bows and arrows beside them. There were no tents, no women or children, and the general aspect of the men showed Cameron conclusively that his surmise about there being a war party was correct. A council was immediately called. The trappers ranged themselves on one side of the council fire and the Indians on the other. Meanwhile, our friend Crusoe had been displaying considerable irritability against the Indians, and he would have certainly attacked the whole two hundred single-handed if he had not been ordered by his master to lie still but never in his life before had crusoe obeyed with such a bad grace he bristled and whined in a low tremulous tone and looked imploringly at dick as if for permission to fly at them the pale-faced traitors are glad to meet with the pegans began cameron who determined to make no allusion to his knowledge that they were a war party for they wish to be friends with all the children of the woods and prairies they wish to trade with them to exchange blankets and guns and beads and other goods which the Pegans require, for furs of animals which the pale-faces require. "'Ho, ho!' exclaimed the Indians, which expression might be translated here, here. "'But,' continued Cameron, "'we wish to have no war. 
we wish to see the hatchet buried and to see all the red men and white men smoking the pipe of peace and hunting like brothers the ho-hoing at this was very emphatic now resumed the trader the Pegans have got two prisoners two pale faces in their camp and as we cannot be on good terms while our brothers are detained we have come to ask for them and to present some gifts to the Pegans. to this there was no ho at all but a prolonged silence which was at length interrupted by a tall chief stepping forward to address the trappers what the pale-faced chief has said is good began the indian his words are wise and his heart is not double the red men are willing to smoke the pipe of peace and to hunt with all men as brothers but they cannot do it while many of their scalps are hanging in the lodges of their enemies and fringing the robes of the warriors the pegans must have vengeance then they will make peace after a short pause he continued the chief is wrong when he says there are pale faces among the pegan camp the pegans are not at war with the pale faces neither have they seen any on their march the camp is open let the pale faces look around and see that what we say is true the chief waved his hand towards his warriors as he concluded as if to say search amongst them there are no pale faces here cameron now spoke to dick in a low tone they speak confidently he said and i fear greatly that your poor comrades have either been killed or conveyed away from the camp and hidden among the mountains in which case even though they should not be far off it would be next to impossible to find them especially when such a band of rascals is near compelling us to keep together but i'll try what a little tempting them with goods will do at any rate we shan't give in without a scuffle it now for the first time flashed across dick varley that there was something more than he imagined in crusoe's restless anxiety which had not in the least abated and the idea of making use of him now occurred to his mind i've a notion to settle this matter in a shorter time than you think he said hurriedly if you'll agree to try what threatening will do the trader looked grave and undecided i never resort to that except as a last hope he answered but i've a good deal of confidence in your prudence what would you advise dick and the trader whispered a few minutes together while some of the men in order to show the indians how perfectly unconcerned they were and how ready for anything took out their pipes and began to smoke both parties were seated on the ground and during this interval the indians also held eager discussion at length cameron stood up and said to his men in a quiet tone be ready lads for instant action when i give the word up spring to your feet and cock your guns but don't fire a shot until you get the word he then stepped forward and said the pegan warriors are double-tongued they know that they have hid the pale-face prisoners we do not wish to quarrel but if they are not delivered up at once the pale-faces and the pegans will not be friends upon this the indian chief again stood forward and said the pegans are not double-tongued they have not seen pale faces till to-day they can say no more without moving hand or foot cameron then said in a firm tone the first pagan to move shall die up lads and ready in the twinkling of an eye the trappers sprang to their feet and cocking their rifles stood perfectly motionless scowling at the savages who were completely taken by surprise at the unusual suddenness and informality of such a declaration of war not a man moved for unlike white men they seldom risk their lives in open fight 
and as they looked at the formidable row of muzzles that waited but a word to send instant death into their midst, they felt that discretion was at that time the better part of valor. Now, said Cameron, while Dick Varley and Crusoe stepped up beside him, my young warrior will search for the pale-faced prisoners. If they are found, we will take them and go away. If they are not found, we will ask the Pegans to forgive us, and will give them gifts. But in the meantime, if a Pegan moves from the spot where he sits or lifts a bow, my young men shall fire, and the Pegans know that the rifle of the pale-face always kills. Without waiting for an answer, Dick immediately said, Seek him out, pup, and Crusoe bounded away. For a few minutes he sprang hither and thither through the camp, quite regardless of the Indians, and snuffed the air several times, whining in an excited tone as if to relieve his feelings. Then he put his nose to the ground and ran straight forward into the woods. Dick immediately bounded after him like a deer, while the trappers kept silent guard over the savages. For some time Crusoe ran straight forward, then he came to a spot where there was a good deal of drifted snow on the ground. Here he seemed to lose the trail for a little, and ran about in all directions, whining in the most piteous tone. "'Seek him out, pup,' repeated Dick encouragingly, while his own breast heaved with excitement and expectation. In a few seconds the dog resumed its onward course, and led the way into a wild dark spot which was so overshadowed by trees and precipitous cliffs that the light of the sun scarce found entrance. There were many huge masses of rock scattered over the ground which had fallen from the cliffs, Behind one of these lay a mound of dried leaves, toward which Crusoe darted and commenced scraping violently, trembling with dread that he should find this to be the grave of his murdered companions. Dick rushed forward and hastily cleared away the leaves. The first handful thrown off revealed part of a figure of a man. Dick's heart beat audibly as he cleared the leaves from the face, and he uttered a suppressed cry upon beholding the well-known features of Joe Blunt, but they were not those of a dead man. Joe's eyes met his with a scowl of anger, which instantly gave place to one of intense surprise. "'Joe Blunt!' exclaimed Dick in a voice of intense amazement, while Crusoe snuffed around the heap of leaves and whined with excitement. But Joe did not move, neither did he speak a word in reply, for the very good reason that his mouth was tightly bound with a band of leather, his hands and feet were tied, and his whole body was secured in a rigid, immovable position by being bound to a pole of about his own length. In a moment, Dick's knife was out, bands and cords were severed, and Joe Blunt was free. "'Thank God!' exclaimed Joe in a deep, earnest sigh. The instant his lips were loosened, "'And thanks to you, lad!' he added, endeavoring to rise, but his limbs had become so benumbed in consequence of the cords by which they had been compressed that for some time he could not move. "'I'll rub you, Joe. I'll rub you into a right state,' said Dick, going down to his knees. No, no, lad, look sharp and dig up Henry. He's just beside me here. Dick immediately rose, and pushing aside the heap of leaves, found Henry securely bound in the same fashion. But he could scarce refrain from laughing at the expression of that worthy's face. Hearing the voices of Joe and Dick Varley in conversation, though unable to see their persons, he was filled with such unbounded amazement that his eyes, when uncovered, were found to be at their largest possible stretch, and as for the eyebrows, they were gone, utterly lost among the roots of his voluminous hair. "'Henry, friend, I knew I should find you,' said Dick, cutting the thongs that bound him. "'Get up if you can. We haven't much time to lose, and mayhap we'll have to fight afore we're done with the Redskins can you rise henry could do nothing but lie on his back and gasp eh 
possible, mon frère. Oh, non, non, not possible. Oui, my brother Dick. Here he attempted to rise, but being unable, fell back again, and the whole thing came so suddenly, and made so deep an impression on his impulsive mind, that he incontinently burst into tears. Then he burst into a long laugh. Suddenly he paused, and scrambled to a sitting posture, looking earnestly into Dick's face through his tearful eyes. "'Oh, no, no!' he exclaimed, stretching himself out at full length again and closing his eyes. "'It are too good to be true. I am dream.' I will wait till I awake. Dick roused him out of this resolute sleep, however, somewhat roughly. Meanwhile, Joe had rubbed and kicked himself into a state of animation, exclaiming that he felt as if he was walking on a thousand needles and pins, and in a few minutes they were ready to accompany their overjoyed deliverer back to the Pegan camp. Crusoe testified his delight in various elephantine gambols round the persons of his old friends, who were not slow to acknowledge his services. They haven't treated us overly well, remarked Joe Blunt as they strode through the underwood. No, de rascal, varmint, de am villains, oui. How they have talked too, about oh, 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 uh, roasting us alive and putting our scalp in the wigwam for the papoose to play with. Well, never mind, Henry. We'll be quits with em now, said Joe, as they came in sight of the two bands, who remained in precisely the same position in which they had been left, except that one or two of the more reckless of the trappers had lit their pipes and taken to smoking, without, however, laying down their rifles or taking their eyes off the savages. A loud cheer greeted the arrival of the prisoners, and looks of considerable discomfort began to be evidenced by the Indians. Glad to see you, friends, said Cameron, as they came up. "'We is happy of the same,' replied Henry, swagging up in the jovality of his heart, and seizing the traitor's hand in his own enormous fist. "'Shall we go to work and slay them all at once, or one at a time?' "'We'll consider that afterwards, my lad. Meantime, you go to the rear and get a weapon of some sort.' "'Oui! Oh, c'est charmant!' he cried going with an immense flounder into the midst of an amused trappers and slapping those next to him on the back give me the weapon do me a miss gun pistol anything cannon if you have one meanwhile cameron and joe spoke together for a few moments you had goods with you and, and horses i believe when you were captured said the former ay that we had yonder stand the horses under the pine tree along with the rest of the redskin troop and a hard time they've had of it too as the bones may tell without speaking as for the goods he continued glancing round the camp i don't know where ah uh, yes there they be on that old pack i see all safe cameron now addressed the indians the peegans he said have not done well their hearts have not been true to the pale faces even now i could take your scalps where you sit but white men do not like war they do not like revenge the peegans may go free considering the fewness of their numbers this was bold language to use toward the indians but the boldest is generally the best policy on such occasions moreover cameron felt that being armed with rifles while the indians had only bows and arrows the trappers had a great advantage over them the indian who had spoken before now rose and said he was sorry there should be any cause of difference between them and added he was sorry for a great many more things besides, but he did not say he was sorry for having told a lie. 
But before you go, you must deliver up the horses and goods belonging to these men, said Cameron, pointing to Joe and Henry. This was agreed to. The horses were led out, the two little packs containing Joe's goods were strapped upon them, and then the trappers turned to depart. The Indians did not move until they had mounted. Then they rose and advanced in a body to the edge of the wood to see the pale faces go away. Meanwhile, Joe spoke a few words to Cameron, and the men were ordered to halt while the former dismounted and led his horse toward the band of savages. "'Pegans,' he said, "'you know the object for which I came into this country was to make peace between you and the pale faces. I have often told you so when you would not listen, and when you told me that I had a double heart and told lies. You were wrong when you said this, but I do not wonder, for you live among nations who do not fear God.' and who think it right to lie. I repeat now to you what I said before. It would be good for the red men if they would make peace with the pale faces, and if they would make peace with each other. I will now convince you that I am in earnest, and I have all along been speaking the truth. Hereupon Joe Blunt opened his bundle of goods, and presented fully one half of the gaudy and brilliant contents to the astonished Indians, who seemed quite taken aback by such a generous treatment. The result of this was that the two parties separated with mutual expressions of esteem and good will. The Indians then returned to the forest, and the white men galloped back to their camp among the hills. End of chapter 19